scripture reading this morning will be from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Acts 2, 41 through 47. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it will be on page uh, 967. 967. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Good morning. If you're a guest, it is good to have you with us this morning. It does encourage us, and we hope uh, that we can be an encouragement to you. As already mentioned, our hearts are heavy today, and uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon in this room will begin a visitation period, uh, and then at 3 o'clock there will be a funeral uh, to give honor uh, to the life of our brother Nick Nance and uh, to his family. We love you and, and want to encourage you and support you, and as a church family, uh, we want to lean upon each other, and most of all, we all want to lean upon God. We've been thinking about immersed all year. We'll look at the idea of plunging our life deeply into the will of God. This month, we'll look at immersed into fellowship. There will be some of you, as we study this this month, it will just be a reminder of what your life is already about. There will be others perhaps here that whenever you think of your life being immersed into fellowship, you might at this point think, well, that's something that other people do that are religious, that go to church, but it's not something I do. I'm still religious, I still go to church, but I'm not going to be immersed into fellowship. And this month, I want to challenge you to study God's Word with us. And let's see what is God's will. This isn't about what is your personality. This isn't about what you would prefer. This month, let's see what God teaches, what God offers, what God expects as it relates to the fellowship that he has created. We're not the ones that sat down and came up with the idea of, hey, all believers in Jesus Christ ought to gather together from time to time. All believers in Jesus Christ ought to look at their self as a family and interact with each other in that type of sharing and communion together. We're not the ones that designed this. It's God who designed this. Bill Russell, several decades ago, was a man who is given credit to changing the way the center position of the NBA is played. As a matter of fact, 
He was on the team that won nine consecutive NBA titles. And in 1972, his jersey was retired because he also added to that two more titles as a player coach. Now, he's known especially for his great defense that he would play on the floor. But he reveals in an interview of what made his teams great. This is what this great player said. The most important measure of how good a game I played was how much better I'd made my teammates play. What a beautiful description of a team player. Bill, how was your game tonight? And he said, depends on whether or not I help my teammates play better. If I help them play better, I had a great game. Is that the way you look at life? Do, do you look at other individuals and, and, and so to speak, do you see them with a 10 on their forehead? Do you see them as real important? Do you see them as valuable? Do you see them as so valuable that they deserve your time? They deserve your attention? They deserve for you to invest in their life. Or do you see life as a single player event? And you're the man. You're the woman. And God just so happened to put you on the earth so that you could be the one. And so you walk through life focused on self and believing that others ought to see the ten on your forehead while they have fives and sixes and sevens and twos and threes and a casual eight and nine on their foreheads. Do you see the value of others? I'd like to begin this lesson before we go back to the text. I'd like for us to look at three passages where God reminds us that fellowship, fellowship is vertical as well as horizontal. As we think about this, I'd like for you to just be reminded of what is this word fellowship. In the Greek, it's koinonia, and koinonia is defined as partnership, participation, benefaction, communicate, communion, distribution, hence fellowship. Look, if you will, Mark the 12th chapter, and let's see about what God expects us to share with Him and what He expects us to share with others. In Mark the 12th chapter, we'll begin reading in verse 28, Mark 12 and 28, and he says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he, talking about Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? What a question. Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered and said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What a preeminence. Could it be any more clear cut, straightforward? Christ, he was the manifested word on earth. He was God incarnated. He was God's message living on earth. They walk up to God on earth and say, what is the greatest commandment? Love God 
God longs to have fellowship with you. He sent his son to die for you because he wants fellowship with you. But he won't force it. He he didn't create us as robots and demand it. He offers it all. And friends, he has done everything that he could do to fellowship with you and I. But then it's our choice. We have to decide. Am I going to love God with all of my heart, my deepest desires? Am I going to love him with my mind and my soul, my spiritual being? Do I long to live with him now and eternally? Do I love him with my mind? Do I want to learn more of God to comprehend and reason his teachings? But then he doesn't leave it there. He says, just below that one, just below that one. Now you may feel uncomfortable doing this, so if you don't want to turn your head to the left and right right now, just in your mind, pretend you are. And I want you to imagine God saying, the first and greatest commandment is, I want you to love God. And then he says, just right under that, I want you to love each other. How important is it? The Lord says, you can think of every commandment that would come later on, and it will not be more important for how you feel how you share, how you interact, how you serve the people that are in this room. Love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Our closest neighbors are our brothers and our sisters. Love them. And under that comes all the commandments. Now you know that we could spend days reading and studying all of the passages that talk about loving God and loving each other because that's pretty much what the whole Bible is about. But let's just look at two that kind of sets this stage to make sure that we're close, to make sure that we're reconciled. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5. And this is a passage that the whole paragraph that we're going to refer to later on in this chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, is a chapter of reconciliation. As you're turning there, let me just give you an example. Uh, We all would immediately identify with what is meant by the word to reconcile if if we know of a couple who is, is their, their marriage is stressed and they've separated for a while in hopes to work things out. And then, you know, the the great news when we hear, hey, they have now reconciled. We know what that means, right? They've worked through what was dividing them. They now are back together. Notice the word reconciled or reconciliation. In verse 18 of this text, we are told that we as Christians are giving a ministry of reconciliation. Now think about that. The word ministry means to serve. What are we to do? We're to go about in our life serving to make sure that people and God and people are brought together. And then you say, well, how are we going to do it? Well, you better be a fast talker. You better know how to sell. He says, no. The very next verse, he says, I've given you the word of reconciliation. That's what this whole book is about. We get to Genesis, first book in the Bible, the third chapter, and we see God and mankind separated from sin. And the rest of the Bible is to reconcile God and man. And so we've been given the word of reconciliation. Now let's read uh, verse 20 together here. Verse 20, now then, 
We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He says, I want you to have a ministry that you go about and you use the word of God. Have a ministry of reconciliation. Use the word of reconciliation. Speak as an ambassador. Speak with authority because you're speaking the word of God. Speak with authority. Lord, what do you want us to do? He says, I want you and I want the people that you're speaking to and you're interacting with. I want them to be reconciled to God. Sin separates us from God, but God has given the greatest gifts, the greatest measures so that we could be reconciled. He's done his part. Have we done our part? Do we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are we reconciled? But it's not just a reconciliation with God and it stops there. That fellowship is vertical and horizontal. Let's go over to see what he says to those of Ephesus. In the book of Ephesians, we read in the second chapter a passage that I hope we can appreciate. If we would have been living in the first century and we would have lived through and experienced that sharp prejudice between the Gentile and the Jew, this passage would have a huge impact upon us because we understand what the blood of Jesus really was to accomplish in bringing us together. Let's begin reading here in the second chapter in verse 14. For he himself, and that's Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made both, that's talking about Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Now pause there for a moment. You, you get the picture, don't you? He keeps talking about two and becoming one. Christ did not come to die on the cross to establish a Jewish Christian church and a Gentile Christian church. But that's what was going to happen if this kind of teaching didn't take place. And so that's why we see over and over, there is no gray area in this. There is no tolerance in this. The Lord is going to demand over and over, there is one body, there is one church, and it doesn't matter what that middle wall of partition is, of prejudice that separates people, God is saying that if we're going to be reconciled with Him, His followers must be reconciled under Him. And so, notice this word in 16. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body, that's the church, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. There's enmity, there's division, there's, there's contentions, there's strife that sometimes causes us to not enjoy the fellowship that God designed for us to enjoy. And, and here, the teaching is real clear, it's real powerful. The fellowship that we are to share is to be real. It's blood-bought. Christ died for us to enjoy a vertical and horizontal fellowship with each other and with God. With that in mind, let's go back to our text of Acts, the second chapter. That text has already been capably read, but did you notice there, if we backed up in 41... 
we saw that there were those who gladly received his word and they were baptized. But did you notice at the end of 41, it says that about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now don't, don't take words and phrases for granted here. Think about it. What does it mean? They were added. Added to what? Added to who? Added to the fellowship of believers that the Lord refers to as the church. Acts 2 is very important for many reasons. But one reason is this is literally the beginning of the church. This is the day that the Lord's church was established. And so 3,000 souls were added to the church, and the church is not a physical building. The church in that day and time wasn't Jerusalem. It was added to Jerusalem. It means that all the believers, if you will, were added to Christ. Remember the one body, Christ's body? But then what is the church? The church, that is, the saved. And so in a sense, we could word it either way because the Bible words it either way. We could say that we're added to the body of Christ. We could also say they're added to each other. Do you realize we, we literally, Ephesians 4 teaches, we belong to each other. That's how strong the fellowship is. Now, did you notice verse 42 has four topics that they continued in? And let, let's note that again. He says, they continued in steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking bread, and prayers. The doctrine, the teaching of the apostles that once it's written down would become what we call the New Testament. They continued steadfastly. The Lord's church today continues steadfastly in these same things as well. Steadfastly in the teachings. Steadfastly in the breaking of the bread of the Lord's Supper. Steadfastly in prayer, but also steadfastly in fellowship. Would it concern you if the Word of God ceased to be steadfastly taught here? What, what if you came next Sunday and we had an entire service and the Word of God was never opened? It happens. It, it'll happen all across America today where religious people gather together and they will not once open the Word of God. They'll talk about God. They'll sing about God. They'll talk about God's message, but they will not open and read it. Would that bother you if we just started talking religiously but stopped going back to the authority? I would hope that this room is full of individuals that say, that's unacceptable because the Lord's church continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. What about if you came and, and we just stopped praying? What about if we went a whole service and didn't pray it? And next service we came together, we didn't pray. And next service, would you say, wait a minute. I know that the Lord's church continued in prayer. What about if we went several weeks and didn't take the Lord's Supper? Nobody mentioned it, nobody took it. Would it concern you? Does it concern you whether or not you are sharing in fellowship? How do you view fellowship? Do you view it as a personality trait? Do you view it as an option? Well, if, if I have enough time, 
I will take time to fellowship with people, but, but if I don't have enough time, people will just have to understand I'm a busy person. Well, what about your neighbor that says, people will have to understand, I don't have time for the Word of God. I'm a busy person. What do you think about that? Can we pick and choose? I tell you what, I want to be like the New Testament church. I want to continue in doctrine, but I know it says fellowship, but I'm not really worried about fellowship. Can we do that? I once heard it described like this, and it's not a perfect analogy, but I just thought, that kind of makes sense. When you go and you buy a ticket to a movie at the theater, in your mind, you're buying a ticket for a seat, aren't you? That's your mind. You know that you go in and, and you know that you bought a ticket for one seat, and, and you walk in, and probably on the way in, you probably don't stand and, and visit with everybody coming by, do you? And you probably don't sit in the seat and, and then get up and go around and say, hey, I just wanted to meet you. Oh, oh, you like this movie? Great, I like this movie too. Just, just wanted to say hello, just go around. You probably don't go around the, the theater and say, hey, are there any needs that you have? I, I was just concerned about you. What, what's your mindset? I know that I'm going to buy a ticket for one seat and I know I'm going to be in the midst of strangers and I know that at the right time I hope to be in my seat and when the credits are rolling, I hope everybody gets out of my way so I can get to my car before they get to their car so I can get out of the parking lot before they get in line to get out of the parking lot. Is that fellowship? Isn't that so easy to see that that isn't anywhere close to fellowship. Now, when I do say the word fellowship, because some of your religious background, there is a word that comes to your mind, isn't there? Like if just in general you hear the word fellowship, you think potluck, don't you? Now, I want you to think of a second analogy, which, by the way, a potluck is one very good example of fellowship. But if in my mind, that is my total understanding of fellowship, I have missed so many applications that are spiritually life-threatening to me. I need to understand why is it that God speaks over and over about Christians being in fellowship with Him and with each other. I want to state some obvious things just to drive home the point. What is a potluck? You know how a potluck is a time where where individuals bring something that belongs to them. And they don't walk in like it's a movie and they've bought one seat. This is my meal and I'm sitting in my seat and don't eat my meal and, and when the credits are rolling, I'm taking whatever's left of my meal and I'm going back to the house. We understand that that's not a potluck at all. We take what is ours and we try to carefully prepare it and, and hopefully it's delicious and hopefully it's generous. And we bring it and we set it out on a table because we realize we're sharing. That's why literally years ago we started calling it fellowship meals. The word fellowship is to share with. I'll bring 
something I have. You bring something you have and we'll come together and we will share this meal with everybody that's here. You know, last year I was in a gospel meeting in West Tennessee just across the Mississippi, uh, just across Tennessee River and, um, and went back through Natchez Trace there, winding back through just a beautiful wooded drive. And I come to this little bitty community and there's a small church there. And, and after the morning worship, uh, we had a potluck meal. And you know how some of those small country churches can just have really delicious, generous potluck meals? That was the case. So it was very, very good news when I was leaving Sunday and they said, Preacher, we have a potluck meal each evening this week. We'll expect you to be here about 5.30. I said, all right. Now, that very next, that very next night, I'm in line. And I see something that, it was amazing. I stepped up and I, uh, I received my plate, my napkin and my, my fork. And the very first dish was a very tall dish. Not just of tenderloin. Thinly sliced, fried tenderloin. But before I even got my fork in it, I said, this is fresh tenderloin. I said, am I right about this? Is this really fresh fried tenderloin? And the big guy behind me spoke up and he said, yeah, I killed the hog this morning. I was like, that's unbelievable. That's the best meat of the whole year. Fresh fried tenderloin. And you know what I would be tempted to do? Not share it with the whole church. I mean, that, to me, that was amazing. A huge, big plate of fresh, fresh fried tenderloin. I mean, that, oh, it was so good. What, what, is, what is a potluck? What is going to see a movie? Which category do you fall into? When we see in Acts, the second chapter, we see the beginning of the church. It was the day of Pentecost, verse 1. Verse 5 tells us that there was Jews from every nation gathered there. And so once they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, obviously they were there for only a week-long feast. They would have been prepared to go back to their houses. But now they hear of a brand new religion. They hear of a brand new faith. Are they going to just be baptized and then go back to their homes, but yet the only ones that can teach them are the apostles? No, they're not going to leave and go back to their homes. They're going to stay in Jerusalem, and they're going to learn more because the 12 apostles are there, and they're learning about the, the faith of Jesus Christ and Christianity. But the problem is, have you ever been on vacation? And then once you got there and you stayed your week that you had planned... Before the days of credit cards, before the days of checkbooks, and now you're going to stay two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, maybe five weeks? How are you going to do that? That's why in this passage we see them communing with each other. We see the locals selling their goods. We see them helping each other. We see them giving to each other. We see them sharing with each other on a daily basis, going in and out of each other's house and homes, eating. Why? 
because they cared for each other. They had a loyalty. They had an investment in each other that was through the blood of their Savior. This month, I hope that all of us will be willing to open our eyes and open our heart to a study in God's Word that challenges us to realize if we park and walk in and walk out and leave, we may have covered some of the bases that God would ask of us to do. But if we ignore the opportunity and refuse to share the fellowship, we've missed the great blessing that God has for us. This morning, do you know the fellowship with God? Do you know the fellowship with God's people? As we close, hear this again. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. There's not anybody here perfect. We're not saying share in fellowship with people that will never let you down. We're not saying share in fellowship with, with people that, that won't some way disappoint you at some time or another. We're saying let's all focus on God, appreciate and accept His grace, and share together as we focus on God. This evening, if, this morning, if you're not saved, why not? Why not begin that fellowship? If you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, why not begin that? Maybe you've begun that journey and maybe you're pulled away from God. Maybe you've pulled away from God's people. If you need to repent and confess sin and pray forgiveness, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.